Welcome to The Follow-Up, a weekly podcast that goes in-depth into projects recently reviewed on Brand New, featuring conversations with the designers and sometimes their clients, uncovering the context, background, and design decisions behind the work. Hi, this is Armin Vett, and welcome to episode number 55 of The Follow-Up. Before I get into the introduction for this episode, a quick note that we will be taking a four to six week break from the podcast so that we can finish all the materials for the brand new conference that is happening less than a month away. Actually, speaking of the brand new conference, we have a special discount for you as a listener of the podcast. Use discount code the follow up, all one word, and you will get 20% off your registration cost, whether it's an in-person ticket or a webcast. If you've already registered, we are happy to send you a refund for that same 20%. Email us at thefollowup at underconsideration.com with your order and ticket number and we'll take care of it. Now, on to episode 55. This week, we're following up on The Mean Tomato, a new brand of New York-style pizzas available exclusively through US and UK delivery service GoPuff. It marks the first expansion of the company's freshly prepared food offering since opening GoPuff Kitchen in 2021. Operating from mobile facilities attached to the company's micro-fulfillment centers, GoPuff Kitchen expands the company's offering from its already expensive inventory of more than 3,000 products that includes snacks, groceries, health and beauty items, and pet supplies to offer fresh meals like a restaurant delivered at quicker speed. The menu and brand for the Mean Tomato was spearheaded by Amelia Riva, former Pizza Hut chief brand officer, and Alan Morgan, former culinary director at Whole Foods, who leveraged data and insights made possible through the millions of deliveries GoPuff DOS to specifically design the menu with pizzas featuring hints of customer favorites like Croft and Mike's Hot Honey. The project, designed in collaboration by Amsterdam, Netherlands-based Alec Ter and London, UK-based Cuba and Friends was posted on Brand New on June 27, 2022. You can pull it up on your browser at bit.ly slash bmpodcast055, that is bit dot ly slash bmpodcast055, all in lowercase. This week, we're joined by Alec Ter, an independent designer and lettering artist. Cuba founder and creative director of Cuba and Friends, and Jessica Loria, head of brand marketing at GoPuff. In this conversation, we hear about the genesis of the Mean Tomato and how it started from the simple fact that GoPuff had figured out a unique way to make pizzas really, really fast. The project then snowballed from needing a name, to needing a logo, to needing its own mascot, to developing its own typeface, to, well, ultimately, kicking ass. A big part of the success of this project, and both Jessica and Cuba made it evidently clear, was Alec, not just for his design contribution, but for realizing early on the potential that this quick pizza-making scheme could be much more robust and meaningful, and had the foresight to put together a bigger team, bringing in Cuba and friends who helped shape the strategy that paved the way for this adorable jerk of a tomato to come to life. Warning! Some of you say tomato, a lot of people in this episode say tomato. Now, let's listen in as Bryony follows up with Alec, Cuba, and Jessica. Earlier this week, we were surprised to learn we could order yummy and lovably mean pizza alongside toilet paper and other household items or snacks. And to our kids' surprise and delight, that is exactly what we did. 
How did this come to be? Well, that's something we're about to find out. Kuba, Alec, and Jessica, welcome to the follow-up. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Just for our audience's sake, if you can each introduce yourselves with your name and where you're coming from. My name is Kuba. I am the founder and owner of Kuba and Friends. We're a UK-based creative design and advertising agency. And my name's Alec, and I'm a lettering artist and designer. Often have the pleasure of working with people like Kuba. And I'm Jessica Loria, client here, uh, head of brand marketing at GoPuff. Jessica, with that intro, let's take a step back and establish for those who don't know what GoPuff is, where it's located, and what the overall vision of the company is. GoPuff's a go-to instant commerce platform. So you can get everything that you need. You experienced it the other day. Everyday needs, you can get groceries, alcohol, home essentials, and pizza in minutes. And it's actually quite life-changing once you try it, and then you start, and then it kind of becomes part of your life. We're based in Philly, but all over the country. Our team is all over the country, but we have local fulfillment centers called micro-fulfillment centers all over the country and in Europe. And GoPuff's vision is to be the world's go-to solution for immediate everyday needs. No small task. (laughs) Yeah. It is my understanding that GoPuff launched the Mean Tomato as an offering through the kitchen that was established, if I'm not mistaken, in 2021. Correct. Multi-part question here. Why pizza? And what was the prep work internally to get to that point before focusing on the branding? And who was involved? GoPuff has an amazing assortment. It's one of the things that makes GoPuff so amazing. And we're very focused on what consumers want. And one of the things we knew consumers were looking for was a fresh food offering. So we opened up kitchens. And as part of this offering, we have a proprietary way to make pizza super fast, which is kind of our whole theme of doing everything fast, getting things to you in under 30 minutes. Knowing that we had this proprietary way to make pizza, we said, okay, what do we need to do besides just having pizza? We needed to create a brand. And the person who led our kitchens business was this amazing visionary, Max Crowley. He was the one who said, we need a brand. And now this business is actually run by Amelia Reba, who is the ex-chief branding officer at Pizza Hut. So we've got some like really qualified people behind this little pizza brand here. Amelia came on a little bit later. So Max said, you know, we need a brand. Max came to me and gave me the keys to build this brand. He said, we need something. We need something really cool. And then he said to me, I actually, I know a guy, this guy, Alec, look him up. And I was like, oh, geez, what does this guy know about design or branding or anything? I said, all right, I'll reach out to this guy that you know. And then I literally emailed Alec from his website, I think was actually even under construction at the time. And I'm like, "Ah, who's this designer guy? I was like, hey, you want to help me with this pizza brand? And that's kind of how this all came to be. So Alec, you got that cold email in a way. (laughs) What was your first impression and kind of how did you get Cuba and everybody involved? I mean, my first impression was it was to do some design for a pizza brand, which was something I'd always wanted to do. I was pretty excited. And then after the cold email came through, we had a very warm conversation over Zoom, which was nice. So Jess kind of gave me a call and just explained GoPuff's ambition. They talked about the vision for the whole thing, shared some mood boards and some early ideas, but it was very kind of early days. And then they were just like, would you like to kind of help on it? Which obviously I did. As I said, I've always wanted to work on a pizza brand. They're just so cool. Pizza is just so effortlessly cool. The kind of problem was is that for the ambition that they had, I didn't think I'd be able to provide what they needed by myself as a one-man team for it to be as good as it could be and as it should be. 
So essentially I said, yes, but I'd love to get a wider team involved on this. And I've done a few jobs with Kuba and his friends that went really, really well. It's always just such a, a pleasure to work with those guys. Everyone's like really good at what they do. So I kind of suggested that we widen the team and really do this properly. Jessica, I'm assuming at this point you're a little bit more comfortable with this guy <laughs> that came to you. You're a little more reassured with the process. Is that correct? Listen, my background is agency, you know, for over 15 years. And so when he said that, it was actually comforting for me to go, oh, great. If you are pushing that we need to do this properly and how to properly build a brand, it actually gave me a lot of comfort too. Because I don't think a lot of people understand what goes into amazing design, right? Like you need to do the work. You have to do the strategy. When he said that, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I get you. We can do this properly. And then once he brought in Kuba, Kuba and I have a million connections too. I was going to say that. Yeah. There was a shorthand of like, oh, okay. And that's kind of, you know, when Kuba got involved, there was just like a level of comfort and I knew I was going to be in good hands. I knew from Alec already, but it was just, we knew we were going to build the foundation and not just some awesome logo. Jessica called Alec, Alec called Kuba. Kuba, what was your take? <laughs> I then called Jessica just to complete this wonderful triangle of warm Zoom conversations. As Jessica said, I think within about 30 seconds, we realized we had a ton of friends in common. I'm also ex-advertising, come from the same world. I then did a long time in the design world. So I did advertising and then design. And we realized that we had brilliant friends in common. We all pretty quickly realized that we have this sort of mutual respect and friendship, which is just the best way to start any project. It didn't take me long to embrace this project and bring on the best possible team that I could. I think that's the thread which went through the whole thing. I mean, Jessica and her team had this ability. One of my old bosses in advertising used to say the clients always get the work they deserve, which I think is a brilliant saying, right? Anomaly used to say that, Jessica. I think it might have been one of our old bosses who said that. And it's so true. And Jessica and her team have this ability to make us as agency people want to do the best possible work. That was apparent from day one for me. I wanted to bring on the, the most brilliant people. I already had Alec, who is a brilliant, incredibly talented person. But then my job was to bring on board the A-team, if you like. And, and I think I did that, Jessica. Right? I think we just brought in some brilliant people and it was a fantastic project to work on. Loved it. Okay. You've got the great team. You've got a good startup. I'm curious to know if there was any parameters or directives that launched the branding side of this project. And I'm very curious to know if Jessica brought the name to you, if the name came out of the brainstorm, where does the name fall into this process? This was done properly, right? The strategy, then the naming, then the design. Of course, the team was involved, so I'll let them speak to that. You know, as I mentioned before, this person, Max, he said, I want a cool brand. There's probably some curse words in there. I'll keep it clean. You know, I want a blank and very cool brand. I want a brand that you'd wear on a t-shirt. Not even that you would put on a t-shirt, but that you would wear, that you would want to wear on a t-shirt. That was really the brief. It was that simple. And then from there, I'll hand it over to these guys and how they took that. I love that, Jess. It really was. I mean, I said to Alec that looking back on this stuff is amazing, actually, because it, it was not that long ago, but it was almost a year ago we did the first bit of strategy. And it's been such a joy reading through all, all the documents. But the wonderful thing about the brief was it was obviously longer than that. I mean, Jessica didn't just send us six words, say, I want to wear it on a T-shirt. But at its heart, that was the brief, right, for us, which was, I want something cool. That really was a start point of our strategy. 
It will take me too long to go through all the strategy. I think there's a really relevant bit of the strategy, actually, where very, very early on the process, we unpicked, I suppose, what we understood as being cool. I mean, I think think we called it the cool criteria, Jessica. And we kind of had 10 very simple points, really. That was a bedrock for everything we then did whether it was naming, whether it was then working with Alec on the visuals or even then working on the, on the tone of voice. The first one was be original. The second one was be authentic, which is quite different than be original, but was very relevant for tone of voice. Third was be rebellious. The fourth, we wanted to create our own culture or our subculture. So be a creator of subculture. We wanted to create a brand with status. We wanted to be sensorially appealing and obviously aesthetically appealing. I knew it would be aesthetically appealing because we've got Alec, but we wanted it to be sensorially appealing as well. We wanted to be energetic, be extraordinary, be iconic. And finally, and perhaps most importantly, because this is a commercial endeavour, be popular. We knew that if we got those 10 criteria right, they were basically the ingredients we had to make our, our cool pizza pie, if you like. When we briefed Again, a bit like the client brief, the strategy was slightly more fleshed out than that. But that, I think, was the sort of bedrock of what we were trying to build and the foundation we were trying to build on. When we briefed our UK-based copywriter, who's also ex-advertising, funnily enough, for a list of brand names, because that's always the first point after you do the strategy, you get the strategy approved and then it's like, crap, we need a name really fast. So we generated a whole bunch of names and we used that sort of strategic criteria to brief our naming specialist, our copywriter. She then came out with a ton of names. And interestingly, what normally happens is one name is chosen. A lot fall out because either the clients don't like them or the trademark lawyers don't like them. Uh, We ended up with four names. That was quite an interesting bit of the process. The Mean Tomato was one of four. Am I allowed to say what the names were, Jessica, or would you rather not? I think we can say what the four names were. The strategy we leaned with was this whole idea of defy the unexpected. Alex was the strategist and Alec was heavily involved too. It's not like Alec was sitting in the corner, like, give me the name. Mm. And so when we went through the names, one of my first questions was, what does Alec think? I need to know what got him excited and what were the things where he was like, okay, I can visualize it. So throughout the process, it was so collaborative. It was very fluid and everyone weighing in. So you can share the four names because I think they all had reason and purpose behind them. And actually, I think it's a really interesting for any listeners out there listening to this. It's a really interesting exercise. Whenever we present names, we always say a name is nothing without clothes, without branding, without pictures, without a vibe, without a personality. And I think often when you see a name on a blank piece of paper, they are hard to judge. We had Sourced, we had Dough Runners, we had 12th Street Pizza. Is that right? Yeah, 12th Street Pizza. I need to make sure the street's right. And then we had the means. Yeah, that was where the GoPuff original office was. So they kind of had like a origin story. That's right. That was the original. And then we had the mean tomato, the mean tomato. They were the four names. And Alec, you should talk a little bit about which were your favourite names off the bat. When I originally heard them, I immediately loved Dough Runners. It sounded like a cool, like, tease, like, arcade game. And Sourced as well was just so sensorial, really ticking that box. We did some cool stuff with that in the early days as well. My immediate reaction for uh, the mean tomato was that I didn't like it. Sounds weird. I don't get it. Why is it mean? All the kind of obvious questions that you have when you first hear a name when there's no context or no clothes on it, Mm -hmm. which is quite funny because I absolutely love the name now. I just needed to live with it for a bit. You know, hearing stuff cold sometimes is weird. But then when you think about it a bit and kind of create this vision in your head for what that could look like, you know, everything kind of falls into place. In the end, we had four great names to start with. Curious to know if you presented creative for all four names or did you reserve the creative to the mean tomato and that was it? 
Well, it's funny, actually, because from the start, I was like, we absolutely need to get down to one name. Like one of my least favorite things to do as a designer, you know, we've got like multiple names on the table because you want the name to be kind of entwined with everything in the brand. Everything, it shouldn't come from the name necessarily, but it's always better when it does, when it all flows together and works together. So when I found out we'd like narrowed it down to four, I was a bit like, okay, well, we're going to have to do four designs then, one for each name. And we're going to have to create these interim creative territories, I think we called them, to work out which the best name would be. It was a great process because I think that's when I changed my mind about the Mean Tomato, when I saw what it could be through mood boards and quick early sketches and things like that. We created one of these territories for each of those four names. We wouldn't have ended up with Mean Tomato if it hadn't been for that process. We would not have ended up with it. There's no doubt in my mind. And that was an interesting conversation that I had with Jessica, then I had with you, Alec. And it was one of those like, we've never done this before. You really want us to do a sketchbook for four names? In hindsight, it was the best thing because it led to this incredible thing. Because it wasn't in the scope. It was another step and it was more time because we were on this time crunch <laughs> yeah. and we were in a tight scope. And yeah. so it was like, okay, if we do this, it's more time, more money. Are you sure you want to do this? It was a discussion, but we felt we kind of need to do it. And in my mind, on my side, I'm like, how am I going to sell any of this if I don't have tangible things? It's not like everybody's gets design and brand or whatever. So it's almost like, how do I make this tangible for everybody else? Jessica, did you have to then sell this upwards to a whole bunch of people or was it a core team? How much of a struggle did you have internally? I think what kept it so successful was that it was a super tight team. We did some naming research, which I'll talk about in a second, but the naming research we did was great validation. It was just really helpful because we kind of knew, you know, that guy, Max, basically, who I talked about before, we were like, do we feel good? I just had so much confidence in this team and I knew that it was right, that I was willing to take the risk with Alec and Kuba. Like it felt so right that in a way, like I didn't even want to ask for approvals because I already knew it was right. And we were able to really build the brand and share it out almost at completion. Like I would say like 85% or even 90% we got the brand to where it needed to be. And then we shared it out, got the thumbs up. And then the last like 15% was like all the awesome stuff, the little touches and dialing up the tone. That is what I think made it so successful was having such a tight team. But again, I had to do my homework. We had great strategy, which I felt really confident about. And we did research with our existing consumers on the name. The four names that we talked about, we put into testing with the sketches, included the territories. Pretty sure we did the sketches. We definitely did the naming and we had some criteria it's interesting because we talked about sauce and sauce was almost like the obvious answer because it was very visceral and cool. And it was like, yeah, it's sauce, it's pizza and it was fun. Mean Tomato was definitely the outlier. But in this research, people said it was a fun and funny brand. And the attributes that it scored so high on was attention grabbing, cool, unique, intriguing. And this was the killer was high quality ingredients. Because at the end of the day, we can make a really awesome brand. But if it's for a crap product, who cares, right? For us, the fact that this was also screaming high quality product, high quality ingredients was like the no brainer. And the other names hit some of those, but not all of those. So once I knew I had that, I knew no one could argue the name. And then once we had this initial sketch, I was like, okay, I know this is going to be great. I would love to hear about the four territories that were presented and then what was the next step to take the mean tomato to phase two? 
after you received the testing feedback and feedback from Jessica? The four territories, as we said, already sourced dough runners, 12th Street Pizza and the Mean Tomato sourced was really getting into that kind of sensorial, slightly seductive side of pizza. You know, it's messy and saucy and it does all of the taste appeal, but also it feels a little bit provocative. And if this is a brand about defying expectations, that felt like a really rich area. Dough Runners sounds like a kind of arcade game name. So we had all this stuff about pixel art and how pixel art kind of looks like mosaic tiles. There's a kind of nice crossover there with like the language of pizza and the language of gaming and the fact that this is like an app-based thing. That one felt really tight as well. 12th Street Pizza was all about GoPuff heritage, if you want to kind of call it that. You know, the street where their first office was. And there's also kind of a popular market on that street as well. So we made that one all about the kind of market language and stickers, kind of handmade signs and things like that. And then the Mean Tomato, it kind of really all came together from the name. We can't not have a Mean Tomato character. Once we had a character and, you know, we had some kind of early sketches of this little grumpy looking tomato sat in the middle of some like logo type kind of in a circle. We just kind of let him jump out of the logo type and just do what he did and be mean and kind of, you know, there's kind of lots of cartoon references and Bart Simpson and Rick from Rick and Morty and even like Dennis the Menace. They're all like lovable, mean characters. And that one just seemed to like really kind of hit the nail on the head with the ability to become a cult brand or a cool brand or just a kind of subculture, I suppose. That makes sense. I think Alex absolutely nailed it from the design perspective. The only thing I wanted to add really was the thing we realised when Alec kind of uncovered the mean tomato has this character, because that's really the idea behind the route. Without the character, we were all struggling with the name. But as soon as Alec's brain gave birth to this cheeky little guy, I think it suddenly was one of those no-brainers, wasn't it, Jessica? It's like there wasn't even a discussion, really. It was like, wow, of course this is the right route. The thing about it which became so clever for me was... Okay, our strategic purpose was, you know, we existed to defy expectations. That's great. But what the Mr. Mean Tomato enabled us to do was to talk about our pizza, actually, because the brand could talk about the pizza. So we had this phrase, I think the idea, pizza first, mascot second. I love that idea is baked in the idea, excuse the pun. It does enable Jessica and her team to talk about how brilliant the pizza and the ingredients are without it feeling forced because you've got this duality to the brand, this dichotomy of having the brand talking and having the mean tomato character talking. That's very different from the brand. Mm. Early on, we realised really early on, Alec, didn't we? We've got something quite unique and quite special on our hands because of that, really. Yeah, it kind of opened up a door. If a brand tells you it's pizza's good... It's like, of course, you're going to say that, but it isn't the brand saying that really. I mean, it is, but it's actually a little tomato saying that and not saying it overtly. He just like really wants to get the pizza and eat the pizza. It's kind of something clever there happening that lets you get away with just talking about how great your pizza is in a more trustworthy way, weirdly, through the kind of guise of a tomato. And if you can expand a little bit on the actual development and creation of this character, I believe you brought in Dan Woodger into the project. He created the illustrations. What was the directive there? What were you seeking? And then what was that process like? Picking up from where we got to on the development of the character, you know, we'd done the naming, we'd done these little sketches of this funny little grumpy little tomato thing that everyone fell in love with. And everyone was basically like, we've done it, right? We've got it. There's your logo. It's like a little tomato, like sat in a circle. But we were like super keen to really kind of push it and make sure this thing's executed in the best way possible. But before we even got to kind of putting pen tool to paper, we had to really kind of nail down the personality of the tomato. I've worked with illustrators a lot and having a really clear but also open brief is the kind of fine line that you need to create to get great work, in my opinion. 
to create a really clear brief, we needed to know exactly what this tomato's personality would be. And actually, we realised the first sketch was quite grumpy looking. And we realised quite quickly, like, no one wants, like, a grumpy little thing. People need to love the tomato. He needs to be mean, obviously, but not crude. We didn't want people to not like him for that reason. And he needed to be cheeky as well. Not kind of cruel or kind of too sexualized or something, you know? Like, there's a real kind of fine line to doing this. And we wanted him to be arrogant as well. That was kind of a big one. But not in an unlikable way, in, in a lovable way. In the same way that people love Rick Sanchez and he's arrogant. So it was creating that fine line and we pulled together this amazingly detailed document of exactly what his personality should be. We even trialled some lines. One of the lines was written on the inside of a pizza box was the idea. And it was greasy as your hair at prom, for example, written by the tomato. And it's a great line. Copywriter came up with it, but everyone was like, that's just a bit too mean. <laughs> we don't want him to be taking the mick out of like people. We want to have him like poking fun, but we don't want him to like actually be mean. There was a really kind of specific brief. Once we had that, we let Dan do his thing really to kind of sell in to the GoPro guys so they could sell it in to their guys, this character. To do that, I think you really need to, you know, seeing is believing with these things. So we had to show the potential of this mascot being executed properly to Jessica and team so that they could believe it and then they could sell it in. So, you know, we did all sorts of him in different situations. And these are like rough vector illustrations that I did. All the potential of him kind of jumping out the logo, doing all these different things, having all these deposes, getting up to all sorts of trouble. And then we shared some of Dan's work. We're saying, look how amazing this illustrator is. You know, he's got this kind of amazing style that's so simple. He manages to like capture so much energy and movement. And weirdly, he'd already done quite a few like illustrations of food, but with anatomy. It was just like the perfect guy for the job. And I'd had my eyes on him for a couple of years, waiting for the right job to work with him. And this just was so perfect for that. We brought him in once we shared these early illustrations and we'd really nailed down the personality. And then he created a toolkit of all these different poses. There was a lot of back and forth to kind of really nail the details. I think we got there. He brought an authenticity to it, didn't he, Alec, as well? I think it goes back to our cool criteria, which is the sort of early part of our strategy. And one of them is be authentic. And I think that authenticity runs through the visuals. He was just the right illustrator. Mm-hmm. And I think that ran into the photography and especially into the tone of voice. The way the character spoke and wrote his written word and his spoken word became so incredibly important. I mean, it was one of those brands which became an obsession for all of us. I mean, Jessica, you included, right? I mean, we were like obsessed with getting every single detail right. We work with a copywriter here who came out with the name in the UK. She's incredible, ex-creative director at Saatchi. But we quickly realised that it needed an authentic, more of a sort of New York voice. Certainly someone who was closer to that spirit, that Mr. Me, that the character had within him. This is an example of how collaborative, this is the perfect example where Jessica was like, guys, I've got this guy I used to work with. He was amazing. He's the best freaking copywriter I've ever known. Da-da-da-da. I then did a call to our mutual friend who said, yeah, he's incredible. Within a week, Anthony, his name is, was on the project, came via Jessica. He's now a very much an honorary member of Crew and Friends, and he was incredible. He gave the character his distinct voice. Whether it's illustration or how he speaks, we all became slightly obsessed with getting it right. I mean, this is like probably the most favorite thing I've ever worked on in my 22-year career. So, I mean, I'm just like sitting back here going... Yeah, I mean, the greatest people, the greatest team. I do want to say when Alec first presented the tomato, a lot of the elements that are in the brand today were in that very first presentation. The idea of his attitude and the cross out and even some of the language like the cross out and bite me, the things that fell out of Alec's head that came out on the screen still live very much today. 
which just shows how amazing and how strong that initial idea was. And we've only built off it and continue to refine it. It's not like it was like, oh, a little thing here, a little thing there. That first presentation, he was brought to life and it was clear. And then it was really more about like molding and shaping. I really have to give Alex so much credit for birthing him. I like to say I birthed him. I was just like the doctor. I feel, you know, but like this came from him and I feel like we were all just in the room to like fuel the fire and keep the vision going. And again, with the foundation, with the amazing strategy. So it's like, it was just like so great. So yeah, I'm just like sitting here like a proud mama. (laughs) So nice to hear. Loving it. And then bringing in Anthony. It It became like a family affair at some point. It's so nice to hear, but I completely, completely double down and agree with you, Jessica. Going back to that first presentation, all we did was build on what Alex did by bringing in people like Anthony and even Dan Woodger and the photographer, I can't remember his name now, great photographer. We just built on what Alex did in the first presentation. I think you're absolutely right. By the way, Jessica, I love that analogy of we were all in the room whilst we watched him being born like proud parents. (laughs) It's just brilliant, man. (laughs) Hmm. It's true, you know. It was a really cool one. Because, yeah, we, we did like four mood boards with some sketches, basically. But then the second presentation, which was supposed to be the first presentation before we added an extra step, we just built one route. There wasn't options or anything. It was just the vision. And it was so kind of strong from like everyone's early discussions and the naming and that first meeting that everyone was just super on board with it. Really great process. If clients are listening to this, I'm not being a creep here, but it's true, Jessica. Like, If clients are listening, there is a lesson in how to get the most out of your talent and your agency. And the amazing thing was you gave us the freedom. Obviously, we did have a few guardrails, mainly cost, but not many. I mean, actually, you were like, if that's what you guys think is right, then go for it. And we all had the same instinct anyway. We didn't even have to sell anything to you. You were like, yeah, of course he's the right writer or of course that's the right illustrator. You gave the project the right amount of oxygen and you let it breathe and you let it grow, you and your team. It wouldn't have happened without a brave client, actually. It, there's no way. Can you imagine, Bryony, of client presentation? It's like, we're going to create a mascot who's a bit of a dick and he's going to lick your product and drop it on the floor and insult some of your customers <laughs> and scribble and deface your menus. It takes a certain bunch of clients to buy that. And that's why I think Jessica and the GoPuff team at large are just amazing. They were like, yeah, we love it. Go for it. Amazing. <laughs> wow. Not only to buy it, but to wear it with such confidence, I yeah. have to admit. Yeah. Kudos to you, Jessica, for that. Because, you know, you can buy it because you're being told and you believe the rationale about it. But then to carry it forth proudly is a whole other step. I can second that as well. And just also the fact you can buy it as well. And then you can dilute it down to something that wasn't. And and it wasn't. It was always so strong from the start. And yeah, absolutely could never have done that without the right client. Congrats to you guys. (laughs) The trick is not screwing it up now, Jessica. I'll (laughs) say that in this public forum. I think that if you've made it this far, you're good. I think so too. (laughs) I mean, you know, Kuba's still texting me like this post is out of guidelines, (laughs) you know. Off brand. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's the problem, right? You know, you birth the baby, you bring up the baby, and then you put it out in the world, and then you just are like, oh, geez, you know, you just hope you built a good enough foundation that it'll do the right thing. There's still things like this, like, and of course, I'm the person on our side going, the cross out is used in this way. This is off guideline, you know, or... (laughs) The thing is, though, Jessica, all babies turn into teenagers. That's the sad fact of the world, you know, and teenagers start hating their parents. I've, listen, I've got four kids in the real world, not in the mean tomato world. So I'm still enjoying his infancy stage because it still looks amazing. But I think teenagedom is only around the corner. So that's when he needs proper parenting. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
But before we get to Teenage Head, I want to take a step back real quick because while the concept was solidified really quickly, it seems that there was a lot of refinement afterwards where it wasn't that you changed things a lot, but you wanted them to be just perfect. So you spent a lot of time on the illustration. I want to talk a little bit more about the typography and where you started in that concept phase and where you ended up with your custom typeface. Type's something that's very close to my heart and I had a clear vision of for having, you know, a custom typeface for this brand, which isn't always the right thing to do. People, you know, often do them just because. But here, I think we really needed to. The kit of parts for this brand, considering it can do like a lot of stuff and paint all sorts of different pictures, the kit of parts is relatively simple. It's basically just a mascot and two typefaces and a colour palette. And the way those kind of things scale up and down and, and tell different stories is wild how much you can do with those things. But to have such a stripped back toolkit was like super essential to like make sure all the bits were like perfect. You know, we talked about the kind of craft that went into the illustration already and, and the kind of same level of thinking went into the typefaces. I think in that same first presentation, we sold in the idea of doing a custom font in the same way we did with the illustration. I have successfully sold in custom fonts and I've also tried to sell in them and failed. And, and over my kind of time, I've realized it really is kind of seeing is believing. It's really hard to show examples even and be like, oh, look at these brands have got custom fonts. You should get one. Yeah, that sounds great. But what does it look like? And is it going to be worth the investment? So for me, it helps. Like I'm a lettering artist as well as a designer and can kind of quite quickly do like an alphabet. It won't be like perfect, but I can kind of rattle up an alphabet based on a logo type or based on a kind of concept. You know, I managed to pull together a kind of beta version of a Deep Pan Sans, which is the name of our typeface, that we could use in that presentation. You know, it was an extra step of work to do early on. It felt like all or nothing for me. Like we need to like sell in the illustration. We need to sell in the photographer. We need to sell in the typeface. And for it to be bought as a full package, we need to show how amazing it can be as a full package. We just showed how powerful it could be. And what I mean by that is when you've got a custom font, which is also your logo type, anything you write can be branded and look like it's come from the brand if it's distinctive enough. You know, I'd always had in my head that I wanted to work with Dan Woodger on something. I'd also always had this typeface in my head, in a way. Kind of starting point for it was the typeface Poplar, which is like a kind of woodcut poster font. Mm -hmm. It's just got so much character and it's just like oozing with personality, basically. I'd always wondered what would a contemporary take on this look like. That would look like the starting thoughts, which kind of led to Deep Pan Sands. And with that as a foundation, moved further away from that and turned into its own thing. I work quite closely with Polytype, which is a, a one-man foundry. We work together on a few jobs and have been doing for the last few years. We worked together and really explored how can we make this font super tasty looking and chunky. And we wanted it to give it like squishy kind of edges like a tomato has. And we wanted to have bits that felt like oozy cheese and stuff. It wasn't just about making it a tasty looking font, which I know has been done by lots of people, but it was about creating a typeface which imbued a personality. And that personality was a cheekiness and a boldness and a brashness of the band. All those things went into what eventually turned out to be the custom typeface. Lots of considerations, without a doubt. And then you paired that with Sandwich Marker Pro, right? Yeah. And weirdly, that was the harder of the two to nail down. The first was in my head. I just needed to make it happen. But there's so many not great script, handwritten script fonts out there because, you know, anyone can just write something and turn it into a font. I went through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different options for that. 
one of the hardest fonts that I've had to choose. And I even surprised myself with a lot of them thinking like, I found it, I found the ultimate one. And then you just put it on there with the custom font, which already had a lot of personality and it just wasn't right. Either it was too like graffiti and like trying too hard to be, oh, I'm an edgy urban font, or it was the other way and it made the tomato look dumb. Like it wasn't confident enough, you know, it, it kind of didn't have that personality and that kind of swagger that the one we chose did. And also we were looking for one that was like a marker pen style. We already decided we wanted him to have a thick and a red marker pen. Lots of <laughs> consideration went into that one. And that one also had loads of ligatures, different alternates. There was multiple reasons why we chose it and it got the right vibe we were after in the end. And the right balance. Fantastic. So in the end, you provided Jessica and her team with a whole kit of parts. Let's talk a little bit more just to wrap up of the other elements that you developed and how that transition is going with giving everything to Jessica. The scope was, I need a brand, I need a logo, a toolkit, and probably the pizza box. A name, a logo, and a box was kind of what we had asked for. You know, like a brand identity that you could give me that I can like go take. And by the way, I was like, the shortest time frame you could have ever imagined And then luckily, I think timing kind of got pushed. The evolution of this, the guys will talk about it more. There was no photography in it. There was no custom font. There was no things that had evolved because the brand almost needed it. And I think too, like Alec being like, hey, I know I'm not necessarily supposed to oversee a photo shoot, but I think we should do this. I think we should. I was like, yep, 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 yep. It evolved so much because of the birthing of this thing. So I'll let you guys speak to it. But I just wanted to say, like, it started out as something very, like, parameters pretty tight. We just need this thing. I think just to build on that, really, and to answer your question as quickly as possible, from my perspective, now I'll let Alex say anything that I've left out, is I'm not interested in being a retained agency in the way that I used to work for big ad agencies. That's not how we operate. We're a quick dose of, well, sometimes quick, sometimes not so quick, but we're a dose of like a nuclear bit of creativity to do something amazing. And that's how to use us. So if we've done our job properly, it doesn't need us to steward it on any project, not just me tomato. We need to hand over a brand which then organically creates itself and clients can steward and brief their creative partners because we're not going to do everything, obviously, you know, moving into the future. So I think we didn't leave the project until we had full confidence that Jessica and her team had everything that she and they needed in order to take the brand into the real world. The boring bit of that is, yes, we did a toolkit or a kit of parts, which was longer than we normally do because we did more. And he was a bit more complicated because there was the character and the brand, right, which I've already spoken about a bit. We handed over a pretty fleshed out brand toolkit for Jess and the team to then take forwards. We had a whole tone of voice toolkit as well attached to that. With these kind of characters, there's a lot of room to go wrong. You really have to nail it. It's not as simple as just making sure that the logo is not too close to the edge of page or whatever. You have to make sure when your logo is running around and doing things that he's behaving himself to a certain extent and how to use him in the correct ways. We had a pretty comprehensive set of guidelines to steer that, especially knowing the ambition that Jessica and team had for how this brand might grow in the future. Who knows who's going to be taking this tomato and doing something with it? Wanted to be safe. That's why I think tone of voice was such an important facet of the brand toolkit for us, because it's easy to get wrong. If you have the brand trying to be too clever or you have Mr. Mean Tomato trying to be too nice or too bland, it doesn't work. The whole brand is built on the tension between the brand voice, which is expected 
I think we had the word boring in one of our toolkits, but it's very expected, I think is the best way to talk about the brand voice. And then the characters, Mr. Mean Tomato's voice is the opposite, if you like. He's there to troll the brand and to call it out and all of that stuff. And it's the combination of the two which makes this so special. That can be a tricky balance to get right. We put a lot of effort into building the sort of tone of voice behind the character and the brand. And that's within the toolkit as well. But one thing I want to say is super interesting, and I think what Alec did awesome too, like this tone of it, he brought it to life visually too, right? Like there's something so visceral, even when you look at some of the photography, how things are done, how the boxes are placed. Alec was an integral part of the photo shoot that we did that, again, wasn't something initially scoped, but there's something about the brand that comes through visually, very viscerally, just all works together, right? It's nothing in isolation. And Alec was at the heart of everything. When you've got such a strong idea, it informs literally everything you do. And it kind of has to, yeah. So that's what's so exciting about working on a project like this. When you've got a strong idea, you've always got a North Star. You're not sure how to do something. Now, Jessica, what's the chatter that you're hearing, both from employees, from customers, from some of your drivers? What are people saying about the Mean Tomato? I mean, it's been amazing. Because also, too, we worked on it for how many months in isolation a bit. So people really didn't know. And then once it came out internally, everybody loved it. Consumers are loving it. For me, and this is just like a little soundbite, we made hats and we gave them out to, we didn't make too many, but they gave them out to some leadership, right? And one of the people in leadership said, you guys, I need help. And we said, what's going on? He goes, my daughter stole my hat. I need another one. And that's when I was like, oh, this is going to be killer. Because if this guy's teenage daughter stole his hat and he wants it too, we're crossing generations here, right? It was just a huge signal to me. Like I knew anyway it was going to be a hit, but that was like the little nugget of, oh yeah, we did it, guys. Hat, t-shirt, same thing. Yeah, exactly. People want to wear it. We didn't get a hat. I know, they didn't make enough. Don't get me started. (laughs) It's not too late. Maybe on the (laughs) second round or you'll get an apron or a sticker or the t-shirt that was the original part of the brief. Have you done the t-shirts? We did do t-shirts because we had them on the shoot. Alec, you got one, right? Yeah, I got, I got one actually. Yeah. I was keeping quiet about that in case Cooper was jealous, but yeah. I know, I, I know. <laughs> I gotta figure it out. Trust me, people are gonna want more. I've got literally nothing. I've got no swag. All I've got is Jessica's love and respect, which is much more valuable than a t-shirt, <laughs> by the way. Maybe one of those pizza boxes should have a t-shirt in it from time to time. Oh, that was a PR swag kit that Alec did. Yeah, there were so many. Oh, there you go. I did not see that. Well, it didn't come to life. But yeah, there's so many ideas that we had for this brand that may still, you know, come to life in the future. You've extended the scope so many times (laughs) that it's no surprise that there is a limit at some point as to how far you can push it in its infancy. No limit, Bryony. No limit. No limit. We'll be briefed on the feature film soon. When's a Hollywood (laughs) movie coming out, Jessica? (laughs) Waiting for a director. Yeah. So I often, by this point, have a clear idea of what you're going to say next. But I want to know what was personally the most satisfying aspect of working on this project for each of you. Jessica, you're making faces like there is no way I can answer that in just a couple of minutes. I know. I'm definitely not going first. I live for doing design that I care about and doing cool design work. It's what kind of gets me up in the morning. So obviously I kind of ticked lots of boxes on this project there. Absolutely loved it and very proud of it as well. 
The most satisfying bit of the whole thing was just working with such a talented team of people. People I'd already worked with and I knew were amazing and bringing in some people who I'd swooned over on Instagram for like years into the mix as well. And then sharing those ideas and that vision with the GoPuff team and having them totally get it as well. Like it's so rare that you get everyone in line in that same way. Everyone could see the potential of this thing and it didn't seem like anything was too much of a stretch, you know. The team of people that we worked with was amazing and that, and kind of all enjoying that work together was my favourite bit. That's my answer. I mean, that's why <laughs> I should have gone first. That's my most satisfying thing is bringing together these incredible people. In 28 years of working in advertising and design, and because I'm old, people can't see my face. I have a very young sounding voice, but a very old face. <laughs> and this is by far, you know, I say this on record, this is my favourite brand I've ever been involved in. That's saying something in nearly 30 years. But for me, the most satisfying thing is just working with incredible people. I mean, obviously, Alec, Anthony Falver, I'm going to give him a shout out because he was incredible. I know it's design blog and he does words, but anyway, there you go, Jessica. You know, the amazing photographers, Dan Woodcut. I mean, the calibre of the team that we managed to bring on and that Jessica signed off on was just amazing, watching it all happen in front of our eyes. It, it was a joy to watch these incredible professionals create this brand. Just an amazing experience. I've built brands, worked on so many projects. There are some projects that are just a little bit more special than other projects. And that actually happens when the people doing it, it doesn't feel like a job anymore. That you go, oh my God. And they're not just ticking boxes. They literally go above and beyond at every turn. And this happened on this project with every single person, and especially Alec. I remember one of the first presentations where he had just talked about this before, where he goes, so I was playing with the tomato and literally showed us like 75 expressions. It's like, he could be this, he could be that. And I was like, holy moly, <laughs> this guy is in. And that's when I knew like this was not just a delivery of scope. Everybody doubled down and we're like, we're going to do right by this brand. I felt that way. I think everybody felt that way. And then that became, but what else can we do? And this like, again, constant refinement and just making it amazing. And it never felt like a job. It felt like we were doing something bigger and better and the passion behind it. You just can't buy that stuff. I've been lucky enough that that has happened a handful of times in my career, but this is one of those where it was just something clicks and everybody's on board. And it's not just, what do we have to do again? What do we have to do? It, there are too many ideas and too many things that you actually have. It's a hard time to pick. Alec presented like 75 different things we could do for swag. And we're like, oh my God, what do we do? Is it a t-shirt? Is it a hat? Is it the sneakers? Is it the bag? That was one of my favorite days at GoPuff. <laughs> Yeah. We had to go, which swag do we make? Because they're all amazing. That's when you know, like, you've got gold. That's a good problem to have <laughs> when you have too much and you're too excited about it. I mean, I have to say for a project that came in asking for a name, a logo and a box that was cool enough to have on a T-shirt, you have by far exceeded all expectations you've created as a collective group, something that's definitely original, authentic, rebellious all of the points that you created and developed during the strategy. It is extraordinary to see how something so unexpected in a way can be such a perfect fit to what the product is and who is receiving it on the other end. Pizza, you know, we're all pizza. It's pizza. Pizza, you don't expect too much of it other than you want it to taste good. Obviously, you want it to be good ingredients. But for the most part, people are generally surprised by the one pizza box here or there. This whole brand has created a conversation that far exceeds what pizza is thought of. Absolutely wonderful work that you have done there. And the passion definitely shows through 
every single aspect. But well done. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you all for being on the follow-up today and sharing the process, the expanding scope, and your heart, because you definitely all put your hearts into this. Hopefully you will have another project in the future that if it doesn't come entirely close, you know, just close enough. Thank you so much. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Thank you. Did you hear that, Jessica? Oh, of course. This is a lifetime. <laughs> this bond is unbreakable. As has been the norm with most episodes, everyone clearly had a jolly good time working together on this project. A sentiment best summed up by the analogy that all involved felt like family members in a room watching a baby be born. With one big difference being that this was no ordinary baby, but as Cuba put it, one who's a bit of a dick and he's gonna lick your product and drop it on the floor and insult some of your customers and scribble and deface your menus. Proud parents they must be. Analogy and kidding aside, it was great to hear about how everybody saw the potential of creating something unique and memorable. Especially Jessica, whose enthusiasm for the brand was contagious and who gave Alec, Cuba, and the rest of the team, the copywriters, the illustrator, the type designer, and the photographer, ample room and motivation to do their best work possible and deliver on part of her original brief to create a brand that you would wear on a t-shirt. I know, I would. Today, thanks for listening. Until next time, we'll be here. We hope you'll be there.